Hello, welcome to Project 99. It is September 10th, 2020. Um, September 11th is tomorrow. Yeah. I feel like that shit <laughs> doesn't even phase me anymore. I don't know why. I mean, I was just a kid when that shit happened, but like, I don't know. It'll, it, it's kind of appropriate though, because we'll be talking about some conspiracy stuff tonight. So I think that's, that's a fitting. I mean, it just... It just kind of like normally in the lead up to September 11th, you, the media is like all over reminding us about it. And like they haven't said much because they've been absorbed in the Trump tapes. Yeah. Which are pretty brutal. But um, yeah. But you look like you look like you were beat with a stick. Like yeah, I have to I say am. that. <laughs> I'm fucking beat. I am. I uh, college. <laughs> <laughs> it's wait. It's been how long you been in? Oh, uh, it's been three like, days. It, no, it's been like two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks now, but the first week I had two classes and then my other two classes didn't start until uh, three days ago. Mm -hmm. So all four classes are full swing. And a week before that, it was scrambling for money to get stuff. to pay for college. Yeah. Yeah. So At a community college. Right, yeah. I mean, is that sad? I'm poor, so. So sad. (laughs) No, but it pisses me off because, you know, I worked my ass off and I got a lot of scholarships and grants, but I don't have access to any of them until three days from now. Um, but the school will take my my money. They'll basically take an IOU until that money comes in mm-hmm. um, for my classes and my books and everything. But these teachers, even though I pay a fee to use the online courses we have, have decided that they're going to use a different online course mm. that costs money. Mm. And you can't buy the access codes from the store. Well, don't you know there's a tree in the park down there that just money falls off of it? Right. So I tried to put it on my credit card and the website doesn't take credit cards. Oh doesn't take God. my credit card. It's a Discover card. Like, what the fuck? Discover's taking everywhere. It's bullshit. But yeah, I got it all figured out. I mean, I always keep a savings account. Maybe this case, is like, maybe it's like kind of a covert class where they're like, let's put these college students through something that real life is like really like you have yeah. to jump through a thousand hoops <laughs> to get anything accomplished. Yeah, but it's been rough. I, I was by myself at work for the past like week and a half. And it's just been so fucking busy because I'm like, oh, maybe I could, you know, sneak in, do some schoolwork while I'm at work. Fuck no. That's just not happening. They're like, the attorneys come in. They're like, by the way, there is a deadline in two hours. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean there's a deadline to do it? They're totally calm. They're fine. They're just fine. They're just like, just do this. And I'm like, okay. And I have no idea what they're talking about because I'm not, I haven't gone to law, law school. I don't, I don't fucking know what you're talking about. So <laughs> I need precise instructions, but like my boss is super old. So he's, and he's also super vague. It's just fucking, <laughs> what a nightmare. What a nightmare. And I'm like trying not to be an annoying <laughs> asshole, but I'm like, okay. So you need this sent to defense counsel and the county clerk's office. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, what a fucking nightmare. But yeah. So, and also, school is just, it's just kicking my ass. I literally came in the door and went straight to the kitchen and poured a drink. And my <laughs> spouse came in and was like, are you drinking already? <laughs> and I just didn't say anything. And then our friend stopped by and he came in and he said, are you drinking already? And I was just like, let's just not. And let's then just- I texted you and I was like, what's for dinner? I'm making tacos and you're like, liquor. <laughs> I'm not cooking. Like, oh my God. My house is a fucking nightmare because I live with a man child. I'm like, no, I'm pouring a drink and I'm going to fucking finish this homework and then I'm going to do my podcast and I'm, I'm going to sit in my trashed house and pretend like I, yeah, I, it's not trash. Yeah. I do feel like too, like when I was in college and I was in college like several times because I had you guys when I was, when I was very young. So I tried to do college 
in spurts and bits and spurts. And um, I switched my major three times. And so it took me eight years to get an associate's degree. And then I was like, oh, I just can't. I'm done. It was, I was like, I think 27 then. And what was I don't know. And anyways, I took like time off. And then I kept thinking, oh, I'm too old to go back for my bachelor's degree. And then I thought to myself at one point, like, if you would have started whenever you said you were too old the first time, you would have been done like two years ago. <laughs> so I went back and got my, my bachelor's degree. But do you feel like when you're in a classroom with people who don't work full time? And I don't I don't know if you are. But like when I went back to West, when I'm with West Liberty, like there were people there who lived on campus who didn't have anything. Right. Else yeah. To do. There's a lot of people. Well, we're and doing just, all the online classes, but you have to do this introductory thing. Like you tell people a little bit about yourself. And there's so many like kids on there, you know, like fresh out of high school. Some of them still in high school and they're like just taking a couple classes or whatever. And I'm just like you. I know, like you hate to, like you hate to, like you know what I mean. Think like you're better oh, than somebody, but you. oh my god, like, like when you're working fifty hours a week and have a family and and oh, a no, life, dude. And when I was in college, when I was in high school, when I I went to high school for two years and then I went to college for the remainder of the two years of my high school career. I was I was in college. I just went to the college campus and took classes, um, and it was like a dual credit thing. That was like the easiest time of my life. I'm like, I don't know why people think college is so hard, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was so fucking easy. I had no problem. All I had to do was fucking, you know, show up and do the homework. Like, that was it. Fuck. I don't know what I'm doing. It's just, if I could quit my job. <laughs> yeah. So, and also I'm just pissed because all the credits that I earned back then aren't worth shit now because I thought, you know, that I would get an arts degree, you know, back when, back when my heart was still full of dreams now you're all jaded you're just like fuck it just give me that business degree i don't want so i can just fucking go into the business world and fucking do a job i hate yeah exactly <laughs> just i'm just realistic about it like give me something that um you know an employer might not laugh at when they see on my resume but it doesn't matter i mean a two-year degree really isn't going to get me fucking anywhere i feel like i'm just doing it so when people ask me uh what my degree's in i don't have to tell them i'm 25 years old and i still don't have a fucking college degree <laughs> but like life is about reevaluating because first i wanted to be a social worker and then i was like oh no i'm too emotional for that shit so then i went into computers and i did computers for like a year and a half i could never do computers and it was so fucking boring i mean i was okay at it but i was just like oh god i hate this this there is nothing more emotionless than i just can't do it so then i was like what do i really want out of my career i want to be involved in crisis but i don't want to like go home and kill myself because some kid that i've been fostering like went to some parent who i think is going to abuse him again like i just so then i wanted to go into criminal justice and be a police officer can you see me now like <laughs> yeah you wouldn't have made cop? it very long and then i went and ended up in private security for 13 years and i like that because it had like all of the good things about being a cop. Like you want to intervene in crisis situations and resolve things and deescalate things and send people away, you know, happy and coming back to your business the next day. It's, you know, I mean, yeah, there were times that it's almost like being a cop, but with actual checks and balances. <laughs> it, yeah, but very much so, because you can get sued out the ass and you can actually get criminal charges against you if you touch somebody, the, you know, without them attacking you. So, um, and I really did like that work, but then, you know, that ended poorly. So I, but I wanted to go to law school because I thought at first I thought I wanted to be a prosecutor, but now I'm just like, maybe I want to be a defense attorney now. Like, I don't know. So I think you have That's to- what everybody keeps telling me. I work in a law firm and I, all the paperwork and everything. I, I mean, I don't have the degree for it, but I'm basically a paralegal at this point. And, um, 
all the attorneys there just tell me like, oh, you should go to law school. You should go to law school. You're so young. You don't have kids. And I'm like, I would rather die. Than See, I would love to be school. able to just be free to devote myself to go to law school because I think I could be a prosecutor or a defense attorney. It I feel would like just depend I, on whether I, I believe it, the client or not. If I could do it here locally, I would do it. But I'm like not moving to Morgantown to go to law school. Like, you know what I mean? That was one of the bad things as I had to wait until I was 25 to or 24 to enroll in school. Because otherwise they held my parents' income against me, which is fucking stupid. Like, I ha- I've had a mortgage since I was 19. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I've been out on my own, paying for all same, my own shit. It was the same for me. And they wouldn't, it was the they same wouldn't for give me. me shit. So I had to wait until that wasn't held against me anymore. Um, which doesn't matter because even now I don't, I don't have any government loans. I have all scholarships and grants. Mm-hmm. So, and now, of course, you know, that I had to wait all that time. Uh, community college in West Virginia is free now. Mm-hmm. So, you Good. know. I mean, yeah, good. I'm glad for the next person so they won't have to wait because I feel like if I could have went back to school right after high school um, because I was in high school but in college and if I could have just continued on, the shit would have been behind me and I might have gone on to have a four-year degree but like that's just not even an option in my mind at this point because like I said, I got a job. I got a mortgage. Mm, right. I mean, I'm lucky I can do this online. Right. I could never go to the campus every day. Well, I mean, and that's another thing we talk about too, like government-funded um, college, not free college, but government funded college, you know, when I argue with conservatives about this, I'm like, if you look at any country that provides government, um, you know, funded college, the reason they do it isn't out of the goodness of their heart. It's because if you are, have a higher level education, you make more money and therefore pay more taxes. Right. So you're building a better for the economy. Yes. You're building a better tax base, but you know, it's all about short term gain, I guess. So yeah. Anyways. Um, so today, look, we've got a couple of topics, but the first thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, Juke and I do this show, um, you know, once or twice a month, we try to, and we try to take like current events, but also put it in a historical perspective. So you get kind of the close up picture and then back up and like see the big picture. Like, how does this all fit into the bigger picture? And sometimes I wonder, like, is that coming across? Are we, are we getting there? And um, are we just perceived as like these two bumpkins from west virginia <laughs> no fucking idea what we're talking about I, sometimes i feel like this meme it's a i've never seen the show it's uh it's always sunny in philadelphia mm-hmm. and there's this guy on the show and there's this meme of him where he's standing in front of a whiteboard with like all these pictures that are connected by strings right, 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 it's right. like <laughs> me trying to explain literally anything to my friend that's me i'm that guy yeah like i try to send this podcast to my friends and funny enough like so many people i know listen to it but the, like my closest friends, they don't even listen to it because they're just like, we are so sick of, of listening hearing to your whiteboard. Yeah, yeah, like we're, right. we're tired. We're so tired. Right. It's so hard. Well, to actually, what we're doing here, I found out there is a name for it. Um, it's called curative journalism. I think I'm saying that right. But the um, the guy that wrote proof of conspiracy and proof of uh, collusion, what what he when I started reading the book, I was like. Um, you know, with this it, throughout the book, he's saying, well, according to the Washington Post and according to the New York Times, and he keeps saying all these things. And I'm like, did this guy do any of his own research? But then, duh, I found out later, this is a type of journalism where you don't do any original research on your own. What you do is you take every single thing that's on paper that's been written by anybody about a subject and you pull all that information together and you make like a timeline. You know, so he did this with um, Trump's connections to Russia. 
So he just went back. I mean, BBC, like anything, anybody that wrote anything about any person in the administration related to their connection to Russia, he, this guy, Seth Abramson, took it and like just did the whiteboard thing and yeah. basically puts it all together for you. You're like, holy shit. Like you knew it all. Because I'm, I'm read, starting to read the book and I'm thinking, okay, but why did I buy this book? Because this is all shit that's already out What's there. What's the name of the book? He did Proof of Collusion and Proof of Conspiracy. And um, they're both about, you know, the Trump's Trump presidency. The I know, don't think there's been any there, there's I don't think there's another president in history that has this many books written. Oh, no, there are. There are. <laughs> this is the Clintons ridiculous. probably 10 times. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah, the Clintons. Because sure. you got them in the presidency and then you got her like right. him and her. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, probably people a, made like, shit. There's a whole there's a whole cottage industry around the, the Clintons and their corruption or whatever. I know Michael. Uh, no, is it Michael Bolton? No, no, it's it's Cohen, isn't it? Who's got the <laughs> that's new a, book? That's a singer. Michael Bolton. <laughs> no, what the fuck is good? <laughs> that was a good one, though. That's as bad as when I mixed this, up Jerry Nadler and, and George Nader. <laughs> this is my fucking brain reader. I know. Uh, yeah, who is it? Cohen that just yeah. is about to release a book? Michael Cohen, yeah. About <laughs> Michael Bolton. Well, and then the, the one that's supposed to come out September the 13th, I think, is um, called Rage, and it's by Bob Woodward. And the audio tapes you've been hearing on the news for the last day or so this guy's book right it's his book Mm -hmm. i just finished his first book about trump i think it was his first book about trump it was called fear and oh my god that book is crazy like if you get can get it on audiobooks listen to it he basically did like a shit ton of interviews with people that were currently in in the white house working for trump and also people who had left and he details like things that happened like you just fucking won't believe it like i'll just tell you this one quick story so Trump wanted to pour troops out of South Korea. And they were like, but you can't do that, sir, because the reason we're in South Korea is because we are protecting the United States from a, a potential missile attack, okay? And Trump's like, but they should pay us to be there. <laughs> like His whole thing was like, they should be, South Korea should be paying us to defend them. Now, if North Korea launches a missile, South Korea is obliterated before you can say boo. Okay, they're just, they're right across, they're like right there next to each other. It'd be like Ohio, like Nuke in West Virginia. Like there's no escaping it. It's over by the time the launch is even done. Like by the time you hear it, it's over. So we're not in South Korea to protect the South Koreans. We're there because we have defensive mechanisms that can protect us from a missile launch. And they're trying to explain this to Trump and he's not understanding it. He's just stomping his feet saying that they should pay us to, to be there. So... He demands that they give him this document to withdraw our troops in North Korea, and he's going to send it to the president, or I'm sorry, from South Korea. And he wants to send the president of South Korea this document saying we're pulling our troops out. And they're like, no, 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 we can't, we, we can't, 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 we can't let him do that. And they're freaking out. And be like, all right, hold up. Let me tell you why that's a mistake. <laughs> no, but they did that, and he didn't listen to them. So... Like, they went through all these extreme measures to try to get his attention to, like, they took him into a room with no windows. Like, the, the stuff that they had to do, to, like, it's like a toddler trying to keep him on focus, on That's point. I was just telling you this. This is about how I feel like with the majority of conservatives that I talk to, um, and you're trying to have any conversation with them, and they're like, well, what about this? And I'm like, all right, enough about the whataboutisms. It's literally like talking to a toddler. Yeah. And you're like, look at this. Look at this right here on the table. And they're like, oh, butterfly. Like, no, right no, here. Right. Right fucking here. Exactly. It's the same logic, too. Like, you know, you tell a kid, no, you can't have that. Well, so-and-so has it. 
And I think it depends, no. too, on the age of the person you're talking to, because my parents are, you know, boomer conservatives, and that's exactly the problem when I have that's a discussion so with them, just bring them back to point. So anyways, Trump demands this document, and they, they finally have to produce it, so they put it on his desk. And Gary Cohen, who is one of his, like, senior advisors, like, literally steals the fucking paper off his desk when he's not looking, hoping he'll forget about it. And he, and he does, like, multiple times. This is the technique they use to keep him from pulling our troops out of North Korea or South Korea. And then he actually told them, like, at one point when he and Kim Jong-un were threatening, like, my button's bigger than your button. Remember that? Yeah. So, I mean, we all remember because we were, like, rocket man. terrified. Right. Um, so when all that was going on, he wanted to actually remove the families of the soldiers that are, like, living in South Korea. And they were like, you can't do that because... If you pull the families of soldiers out of an area, it's basically like we're going to attack you. Yeah. Yes, sounding. And they're a siren. like, you cannot, you cannot do that. Like, so it's pretty frightening to read the book and hear that kind of stuff. That it's just was nonstop. You know, pe- some people came out like the anonymous article in the New York Times saying like, "This is what kills me, though. Is how come we have to hear more about uh, him saying grab her by the pussy? Like, this is what you should be right and this Bob is, that's Woodward, what kills me about the media is the media goes on and on about the shocking shit mm-hmm. but it's like this 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 is what you national sh- security need, shit. yeah this, this is right. fucked up you need to be like plastering this as much as you plaster i mean not that the fact that he said that was fucked up but it doesn't hold nearly the danger that this does exactly and that's and that's what i was trying to get across to my dad when we were arguing because he's talking about he keeps going back to biden and i'm like listen I don't like Biden. Do I think Biden's corrupt? Yes. We're do I ta- think we're not talking about Biden? I'm like, do I think that if, if Biden's elected, he's going to do any fucking thing for me? No, I do not it's, think anything. It's but it's like, there's a different level with Trump. There's a different level where it's actually dangerous. Like electing physically Biden dangerous. is just damage control. That's what it is. Yes. It's just to prevent further damage. I don't think he's going to do shit. He's not going to do shit. He'll put somebody else on the Supreme Court that Trump wouldn't. So that would be like to keep the Supreme Court from becoming right wing. Like a lot of my progressive friends are like, we're not voting for a president. We're voting for a Supreme Court justice. Right. You know, but there's really not a lot of other options. I mean, but Bob Woodward, in case like you're a youngster and you don't know, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein were the two reporters for The Washington Post that broke the Watergate story on Nixon. So, you know, their expertise. They're goes, probably having a field day with Trump. Well, they're just like, you weren't even half as smart as Nixon was. <laughs> Nixon wasn't very smart. He was. <laughs> I know that was the joke. <laughs> Nixon. Nixon was paranoid. Um, I think he was a little bit smarter than Trump. No, he was. De- Nixon was definitely smarter than Trump. Yeah. I think. I, but I also think that he was more. I think he was more malicious. I mean, honestly, if 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 I had to guess. If I had to make a prediction, I don't think Trump gives a shit if gay people get married. I don't think he gives a shit if well, women no, have abortions. Well, no, he was a Democrat for most of his life. That's what I'm saying. I don't think he cares about that shit. Mm-hmm. Nixon did. I think Nixon, Nixon genuinely hated yeah, anyone. Yeah, I think he definitely did. He feared, like, hippies. He feared all of that. Yeah. You know, counterculture. So I, I think he was a little smarter, but I think he was also a little, definitely more hateful. Trump, I think, is um, second generation racist. Mm-hmm. And just totally fucking ignorant, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's as full of hate as some people make him out to be. Just but because, because he's, he's so simple. unpredictable and random and childish, like that's what makes him dangerous, right? Because exactly. at least Nixon had like kind of some coherence to his. He was kind of predictable in, in his. Co- he was coherent, so you understand. It was like dealing with Trump is like dealing with someone who has serious mental illness. You don't ever know 
what world they're in or where right. what angle they're coming at. That makes him that makes him really well, a dangerous person. That's a scary part about a lot of things in our society, you know. And I, I always come back to religion because that's the first one I ever noticed it with. That you know people people say to me all the time, like you know I I express I feel a certain way, and other people say oh I feel that same way, but I find you know comfort or peace in believing in God. And I'm like man, if I if I could. Mm-hmm. believe in god or believe in some kind of religion i i would love to mm-hmm. but i mean it's like it's like trying to convince a grown adult that santa claus is real right yeah, you know that's what i, mean? what I like, said for years when, when mm-hmm. the veil is is taken off you can't just you can't just make yourself believe in that it's just mm-hmm. you're, you're in a new reality now and that goes that way with so many things um where people just don't live in the same reality where they accept science or or facts or any of that Mm -hmm. and and trump is in that reality and so are a lot of his supporters which is i don't know how we bridge that gap that's always my goal is how do Mm -hmm. we how do we come to a place where we can you know meet in the middle right for real but i don't know how you do that with somebody who just genuinely will say right that any fact that you bring to no amount of proof they'll just and then you have the people that just don't care you know Mm -hmm. you can tell them like well, would you still vote for Trump if he literally did shoot someone on camera? And they're like, there's nothing Trump can do or say that makes me not want to vote for right. him. And so, then there's those people. It's right. Like, I don't and, know and you know, that. so one of, one of the, and I was thinking, like kind of mulling this over my head trying to think about, like we did a show um, and I can't remember which episode it was, but we were talking about, um, you know, the difference between our viewpoints. And you said, well, like, you're you were a republican <laughs> and i like jumped and i was like no i was never republican and i w- and i thought to myself like wait a second i mean i i was never a republican like today's republican but i've gone through a very similar process to a lot of other people who grew up in the reagan era so i started to write about that and um i, I i've kind of for an op-ed article is why i started it called becoming progressive like, how did I get here from where I was? Which is funny because they say the older you get, the more conservative you Right. Become. Somebody used to tell me, like, if you're not a dreamer when you're young, then you're something's wrong with you. And if you're still a dreamer when you're old, something's wrong with you because you're supposed to become more like, you know, I guess jaded as you get older and lose that dreamer thing or whatever. But mine went the reverse. So I was born in 1970. So I don't remember Jimmy Carter, really. But but Reagan was the first president that I remember. Right. And yeah, I, we were actually just talking about Cold War and right. today. So. And you were saying that um, you told me when you saw Vice, you were like, God, yeah. like now I know why you hate Republicans so much. What a- Which just added to that. Vice is not a documentary. It is a fictional, you know, movie right. based on true events. But there are definitely parts in it that are just, you know, made up for cinematic Entertainment purposes. purposes but only, a lot yeah. of it is based on truth. So Right. But yeah fucking terrifying but i always come back to that when people are outraged about trump and i'm just like well 9 11's tomorrow it's a perfect reminder right. is that i don't think trump is just never he he's never going to be as malicious or evil as dick cheney in my mind no but he's he's like i said he's dangerous because he is predictable in some ways because you know his ego like if you stroke his ego you can get manipulated because he's dumb he can be manipulated because he's predictable in that regard but you never know which um you know, part of him, he is being entertained at that moment. Is this his ego? Is it his, is it his like childish desire for power? Like what part of him is his racist side? Like which part's coming out today? So, I mean, it's it's kind of a toss of the dice. None of it's good, but. You're like the only person I know that I could do this with, which is, it's so funny. I feel like there's like two parts of 
my personality and there's like the one side that's like a fucking dumbass drunk that like hangs out at parties and then there's this part of me and when the two of them meet it's really funny because you're saying that and i was like haha you know it'd be really funny have you ever heard of that game like fuck one marry one kill one okay so there's this game and you you pick you pick a scenario and you say okay like like Angelina Jolie, Megan Fox, and Jennifer Aniston. You have to fuck one, you have to marry one, you have to kill one. And you have to like pick which ones you would do. But this is the kind of shit that I think of, like we're sitting here talking about this and I'm like, this is really serious. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, Nixon, Reagan, Trump. Fuck one, marry one, kill one. Like, you have to do it. <laughs> oh my God. That's pretty bad. That was a pretty bad scenario. Like, I feel like I need to drink now and I don't drink, but. So Reagan when he became president, I was like 10 years old. And I think the assassination on him happened like a year into his presidency. So, you know, when you're a kid and someone tries to kill the president, the only thing you think is, wow, that's a really bad person that tried to kill the president. Like you don't know anything about politics, right? So it kind of does create like a sense of like he was a victim, like in my mind. And I'm sure like many other kids, whether they they probably didn't know damn thing about politics, but they knew someone tried to kill our president. Right. And so. Then the next thing I remember during the the Reagan presidency was um, when we sent the space shuttle up um, with with uh, Krista McCullough, who was the first civilian, I guess, like non astronaut to go to space. She was a school teacher. And they took her up on the space shuttle because they wanted her to give a lesson to her kids from space. And Ray, Why? Well, because at that time, they were doing a lot with the space program. There was a lot of launches going on. And they, the idea was that, you know, Reagan was saying, like, space is the next frontier. We need to go into space. Eventually, we'll live in space. He was also, talked, you know, was his main project for defense was Star Wars, which... Now there are people coming out saying it was never about defensive. It was about putting weapons into space, which I totally believe. But fucking America, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the things that I did grow up with, with well, wasn't really political, but was the idea that like we could be annihilated. Like when I found out that nuclear bombs existed and that literally we could annihilate humanity in its entirety from existence, I was obviously horrified and traumatized as a child to think that, you know. I mean, I literally had nightmares that I would wake up, I would, I would be like sitting there watching TV and I would hear that Russia non did launched a nuclear. Did they do the, uh, drills with you guys when you were in school? Did they there was no the drill drills? for a nuclear thing because a nuclear, you're I mean, just, you're just like fucking the, dead. Like there's no drill. There's just, uh, you're fucking dead. Maybe it was the 50s. 50s yeah, the 50s, 50s my parents, they had the atomic bomb drills where they would get under their desk. Yeah. Which yeah. is pretty, kind of yeah. pretty dumb too. <laughs> what the fuck is that going to do? But like if you think about Hiroshima... That's what you, that's what kind of bomb you were talking about. So yeah, you're going to kill 80,000 people in a blast. But like, if you're far away from the epicenter and you're hiding in a secure structure, you might be able to survive. Okay. So yes, they did the drills in the fifties, which I'm sure traumatized children back then as well. But, you know, as a kid, when you, when you're thinking about imagining like somebody saying, oh my God, Russia just launched a nuclear weapon. And you know in your mind, like the entire world is gone now. Like that's a, di that's a different kind of chilling than thinking that maybe I'll die or even maybe everyone in my family will die. But to think the human race will die is like yeah, unfathomable. Yeah, I feel like it, the only reason it doesn't scare me is because in my mind, it's just not even, it's not, it's not reality. Like it's just impossible. Right. Even though I know it isn't. Yeah. It's just not a scare for me, but weird enough it i feel like every generation probably has one of those right i feel like my generation's um 
you know, uh, like hiding under your desk from the atomic bomb. Ours were uh, school shootings. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, from the yeah. time that uh, probably 2005, I think it was like fifth or sixth grade, they started doing those. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you were calling by was, but they even had a program in schools where they mm-hmm. would come in, they put everybody in the auditorium and they would talk about, you know, this happened and here mm-hmm. was these shooters. And, and I don't really know what the point in doing that to us was mm-hmm. because they didn't really ever teach us like, you know, like defensive people, techniques. Well, like people do now, they try to say like, well, maybe if those two kids weren't bullied or if somebody would have been their friend, which first of all, that's a whole nother subject of that's victim mentality, dude. Like you, do, you don't blame, you don't blame the victim. That's, mm-hmm. that's victim blaming mentality. You don't do that. Like if I don't want to fucking be friend with Johnny over there, it's not my fault if he comes to school with a gun and shoots me just because right. I don't want to fucking be friends with him because he's right. a weirdo. Like that's not my fucking fault. Uh, but yeah, I don't really know why they did all those school shooting things because you know, they, they never put anything in place while I was in school mm-hmm. uh, to be like, listen, we're installing these new doors to protect you or like none of that. And well, a lot of the a lot of the safe quote safety measures they put in the schools were total bullshit. Like I went to pick my niece up at school one time and they made you go through like this double door entry thing and you had to wait in a secured area. And then he brought the child out to you. Right. So we go outside and I said, hey, Tori, go over there and stand where I can take your picture. And she stood over by the building and I took her picture and the entire side of the building was nothing but glass windows, big en- way big enough to, to just step into. So if you have a gun, you're just going to shoot through the fucking window and walk into the classroom and start shooting people. Like the whole double entry thing was a false sense of security. And so many schools implemented bullshit measures. But but no, I hear what you're saying. Like. Basically, all it did was traumatize you. Right? Yeah, I don't really know. What and there the was point a movie. Was. That, there was a movie that came out. Yeah, that we we did it all. They they showed us the. They talked about. They read the girls' diaries. The one girl, what was her name? Uh, it was a big story with Columbine. It was a girl that got shot on the front lawn. I think her name was Rachel or something. Um, but yeah, they fucking went on to all this detail about these diaries that she kept and like. She drew these pictures, these crying eyes, and they, like, showed us all that. But, like, they never taught us any defense techniques or, like, how right. to spot this type of thing. There was absolutely right. no reason for that. But that was the big scare when I was growing up that they always drilled into us that, like, a school shooter was a very real possibility. Right. So. Well, there was a movie that came out. I'm not sure what year, but it was called The Day After. And I would tell you to go watch it, but it's, even today, it's literally horrifying. Like, I went back and watched it because I'm like, maybe this wasn't as scary as I remember as a kid. And it was fucking horrifying because they, of course, show you, like, people doing their daily, daily, normal daily activities or whatever. And then they get noticed that there that there's been a nuclear launch and, like, everybody scrambles and people don't know whether to run and get their kids or should they just try to hide where they are or, and it's, it's, it's literally horrifying, a horrifying movie. And like so. that shit happened in, um. I was actually watching some interview with one of those uh, comedian talk show hosts. I don't remember which, but they were interviewing Jim Carrey about his book. And he was talking about in Hawaii when that just recently mm-hmm. happened, when they sounded mm-hmm. the alarms and people didn't know it was a drill. And mm-hmm. they really thought they were just, they thought they, they were going to die. It. They mm-hmm. thought it was over. That was it. And I'm just like, I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Yeah. We have a friend that lives over there. And thankfully, I, th- I think he ended up, he slept through it. Didn't yeah. even know what happened. But how fucking life changing is yeah, that? Yeah, it know? is. It's terrifying. And so when, when, how this ties into reagan is because you know so first reagan's elected in 80 and then you know i see him try to be assassinated he survives okay and then you know the space shuttle happened in 86 or 87 i think but we were watching it in school because it was like oh the teacher's going up into space she's going to give a lesson to her students from space and so every school had it tuned in live and the fucking shuttle blew up 
it launched and just fucking exploded. So you're sitting there in class like, what? Like, what the, what just, what just happened? You know, and the teacher's standing there with their fucking eyes bugging out of their head like, oh my God. And, you know, Reagan came on and gave this, you know, really consoling speech saying what heroes they were. And, you know, he took the country through a phase of national mourning over that incident. And then, of course, like I said, he was talking about putting Star Wars into space, which was basically going to be this weapon in space that would shoot down nuclear weapons to protect us, like a, like the Iron Dome of Israel that is in use in Israel right now that's supposed to shoot down rockets. So as a kid growing up, like I saw Reagan as this, you know, congenial, friendly, grandfather type guy who was funny when he talked. He was witty. He was always real laid back. Oh, the war on drugs. So the war on drugs was like Nancy Reagan was telling kids just say no to drugs because drugs are bad. And Reagan was wholesome. And Reagan was going after the drug dealers, giving them prison sentences. And like, if you grew up in that era, so you had a very clear cut idea of good and evil, at least if you're a white kid in West Virginia, right? So then, you know, when I was in, when I was about to graduate from high school, Reagan did the whole like glasnost thing with Russia. And he was like, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, come and be part of the free world stop blocking people in their con- in your country let them expl- you know come and join the rest of the world like he reaching out a hand of peace to russia and i was like for real like so to me like everything that was happening then was good so then i graduate high school and of course i was uh, my last few years of high school i was a hardcore christian okay i wanted to go into the convent and go serve people in poor countries and so I was a conservative, and I would say Republican. But that was my version of what it meant to be a Republican, Respons- personal responsibility, you know, not doing bad things. Like, it was all just completely... I can't it made believe. sense. It made sense. So then I go to college. I start having kids. I start realizing, like, life is not simple black and white. Then I find out that Reagan sold weapons illegally to a country to fund an illegal war in another country in the in that country with he supported people that had death squads and murdered people fucking let the cia operate with drug dealers who brought drugs into the country while he's telling people how he's fucking waging a war on drugs so by the time i was like 25 Everything that I grew up thinking about Republicans was total fucking bullshit. So I was pretty pissed off, you know. And then the pro-Israeli slant of the Republican Party. In college, I did a bunch of stuff about, you know, Israel and how the the news media here is like propagandizes everything about Israel. And it's all like Israel's good and the Palestinians are evil and they're bad and they're terrorists. And then I find out that's a fucking lie. So, you know, it was pretty much a switchover for me to become disillusioned with the Republican idea of what being a Republican was. So I started reading this book um, after I finished Bob Wilber's Fear, and it's called It Was All a Lie, and it's written by a guy named Stuart Stevens. And he was a Republican strategist who worked on several, I mean, multiple Republican campaigns. Five, I think, were for President of the United States. And... um, you know, he talks about how people want to look at Trump as if he's some aberration of the Republican Party, right? Like he's um, the anomaly that sprung out of nowhere. 
And, you know, the book, I really recommend if you have time to read it or listen to it on audiobooks. It was all a lie. He talks about how the Republican Party has always espoused this one public view of um, what the party represents. But behind the scenes, it really isn't about, it's never been about that at all. Um, he talks about, you know, the inherent racism that exists within the Republican Party and, you know, how they really had no use for even trying to get the black vote until somebody in the party came up with the idea that, you know, um, America's not always going to be a white majority. And if we continue to only focus on white voters at some point, we're going to die off as a party. So their interest in attracting Hispanic and black voters never had anything to do with their benevolence toward black and Hispanic voters. It was all about party survival. How do we continue to build a base that keeps us in power? So they hired consultants to learn how to talk to black people as if, he says, as if there was a uh, language barrier. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You ever see the movie Airplane? I'm sure you have. Oh, God. And yes. they're on the plane and the guy's talking. Talking she's, jive. She's like, I don't speak jive. And this <laughs> other white lady that's a stewardess walks over and she's like, oh, I got you. And she's like, what's the problem, jive turkey or something? <laughs> and the guy like talks back to her like, what? And there's like subtitles oh, at the bottom telling you what they're fucking saying. <laughs> Oh, that is so it. funny. I love it, dude. That's a, you know. So I, fe- I, fe- I felt that way sometimes when I go into like these, like not Reddit chats, but like places where they're like young, oh, alt-right yeah. guys. Oh, like yeah. the way they talk is like, it's almost like a code. Like yeah. I don't fucking know what they're talking about. I find that with young people in general. I feel like I finally hit the, hit the point where I'm like, all right, maybe I'm crossing into not as young as I was. Uh, <laughs> I'm only 25, but you know, I see... A lot of younger, you know, Gen Z kids and the things that they say. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I don't, right. I don't know what you're saying. But yeah, I, I just really wanted to kind of bring that aspect of the whole historical thing of like how I went on this journey as a Republican and then realized it was total bullshit. And this guy's saying that's pretty much what's happened with the Republican Party. From He's an insider. He He helped these people get elected. He's seen the behind the scenes and he's saying, yeah, it was all about giving tax breaks to the rich. You know, everything that is disgusting about the Republican Party has always fucking been that way. It's just they had to sell it in a different way because who's going to buy that product, right? Right. Nobody. I mean, I truly, I'm hopeful. And, you know, even in the 2016 election, we saw that Trump lost by what, two, three million votes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he lost the popular vote. Mm-hmm. So it does give me hope that even though I'm in West Virginia surrounded by people who are, are those types of people that say they don't, they don't care. I mean, Trump could have raped a baby and they'll still vote for him. I mean, they don't fucking care mm-hmm. because it's all about, I think those people just get to a point where when they, they're brought up and they believe this one thing and then another person comes in and they're like, well, look at these facts and this information that should make you not think that way. And they can't argue it. So instead of being at the point now where they're trying to argue uh, an actual discussion or an actual have any kind of debate with you they are just completely admitting i don't know and i don't fucking care because guess right. what even if you know more than me you can't fucking make me vote one way or the other right it's and a I, rebelliousness it's yeah a, it's like a rebellion mm-hmm. thing and i don't understand that i don't understand the need to be like that it probably has to do with a lot of other psychological factors in their mind and in their life but um well you know just i always said this too that america is a country that was built by a revolution. So we rejected 
the king of England. We rejected that somehow um, your authority over me is because you were just, you're just God-given right. You're just the king. And just because, like, no, there's not logic and reason to that. I'm a human being. You're a human being. All men are created equal. What gives you the right to tell me what to do? Like, our country was kind of built by people who rejected authoritarianism. So then when you think about it, you know, wow, how did we come back to where people are willing to have a dictator as long as it's Trump? Right. But in their mind, they are rejecting the authority of the, quote, deep state. And this is where, like, another thing I was thinking about was how did I come around to the point where I'm at now where I would be insulted if somebody called me a conspiracy theorist because when I look at the people today that are conspiracy they're theorists, QAnon fucking they're QAnon maniacs. idiots. And I, and I think to myself, like, my God, like, how was I in that category? So I went and I actually wrote an article, if anybody wants to read it, it's on op-ed news. It's called For Entertainment Purposes Only, Conspiracy Theories. Because conspiracy theories used to be, you know, when something you were told on its face didn't seem to fit with the object objective factual evidence that you knew to be in existence, right? right. Doesn't add up. The narrative didn't add up. And in the 1950s and 60s, when, you know, Kennedy was assassinated, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and all these assassinations were happening, I feel like America's psyche just snapped. And people that wanted to believe that everything was good and, you know, the world was a good place, but there were some bad people like Oswald, they finally realized that, no, that's not, Oswald wasn't a one-off. Like, the fucking world, there's a whole bunch of conspiracy shit going on. And then when all the stuff with the CIA came out and how we overthrew countries and the Vietnam and all these, like, dirty, dirty truths about America came out, it caused a rupture. So there were people that still wanted to believe that America was a good place with good morals and good motives, and sometimes we made mistakes, to people that like, were like, no, our government's been taken over by fucking evil people, and we have to get it back. And so the culture split in half. So after that period of time, I think that the people who became the progressives of today, like my age and older, the people that were the original um, you know, investigators of the JFK assassination, the people that still pursue the truth in those events, they were called conspiracy theorists, not by themselves, but by the CIA, because the CIA wanted to discredit anybody who was questioning the, the official narrative. And over time, as many things were proven true that, quote, conspiracy theorists said, it, people started to see them in a different light. People started to see them as people who were willing to um, fight against insults and being degraded, rejected, not given airtime in order to get to the truth of something. And they were kind of like seen as heroes in a sense. Now, when 9-11 first happened, you know, of course, you weren't supposed to question what happened. These, you were supposed to want to go to war and, I guess, kill all the ragheads. You know what I mean? And, you know, I had a lot of questions about 9-11. And, you know, at first you would get people saying, like, how could you possibly question it? Yeah, blah, 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 first blah, blah. of all, how dare you even question this tragedy? Right. And it's, that's kind of, um, I feel like that's the knee-jerk reaction, which the leftist kind of 
doing that now. They have knee-jerk reactions to everything. Right. And I'm like, that shit is so toxic because if you really wanted to honor the victims of that, you would have wanted the truth regardless of what it was. Right. I mean, if you truly believe this is a fucking tragedy and whoever came up with this needs to be brought to justice and that was your angle, then you would want all right. aspects to be investigated. But that's what confuses me about these types of people that... You know, they, they cry and they, they hurt and they feel and I, I connect with that. But then when I'm like, if you, if, then, then you want justice. We both want that. That's a common goal. But then when I introduce, well, it may be these people, then it's denial, denial, denial. And I'm like, how can right. you feel so deeply and want the same goal as I do? But then the mm-hmm. second that it is an inconvenient truth, you shut right. down. Well, I think I it's mean, because some people identify, some people identify the the truth or like you're saying about trump people that think that trump was sent by god right that have this delusion that trump is their savior if you try the reason you can't have an argument with them is because they are emotionally attached to that issue they're not they they don't think trump's a savior because it makes sense because it's logical because fits any of the facts of the narrative it's because they want to believe that so you first of all to go into any argument any anything and find the truth you can't already be attached to what to one side of it or the other yeah but i mean i feel like i don't know i feel like i have the capability to do that and i ain't shit so i feel like i don't understand why other people don't have that capability because you know obama got elected when i was in middle school and going through that time i you know really liked Obama and mm-hmm. I went through I have really passionate like oh I love this country I love our president like things are good like people around me had they were doing well mm-hmm. and I attributed that to him but you know I got older and I got educated and I saw a lot of the things that he did mm-hmm. that were wrong and there's no excuse for them and there was so much corruption that I didn't want to believe but then after being educated on so much of it I sit back and I think you know the one thing that he did, which I know wasn't perfect, was the changes he made to our healthcare. I know mm-hmm. it wasn't perfect, but I think it was a move in a direction that no other president was trying to make, mm-hmm. and it needed to at least start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And it ensured a lot of people, including myself, had health insurance. And we live in West Virginia. I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of people completely suffer and go without because they just can't afford to get medicine right so when that change happened there was like in my mind there was nothing it didn't matter what obama did i'm watching people around me be able to go to the doctor Mm -hmm. i mean this is what matters to me right but as i got older and i i learned those things about him that aren't so that don't make him look so good um i learned to separate it you know what i mean i learned Mm -hmm. to to just say you know i did think that then Mm -hmm. and there will always be a part of me that like enjoyed that presidency because mm-hmm. it felt like things were good but in reality i know that and and that's where you come to the there is no black and white there are gray areas right i don't think obama was an evil person i don't think he was malicious but i think that he fell to the same vices that all presidents do mm-hmm. and they they follow a status quo and well listen you, in place. well listen you're the president of the united states you're not the king of the united states you're not the emperor you're not the you know you 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 operate within the system of democracy and there were times right. when obama you know uh overstepped the powers that are his as the president and just like when trump signed the um you know the muslim ban the courts undid that right um, and, you know, B- Obama did some things in the courts, you know, he was sued and, 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 you know, that's, that's the balance of powers. Right. The thing that's dangerous about Trump is, you know, 
he is following all of the same um, patterns of dictators. But that's what I mean. I just, I guess I don't understand because, you know, I grew up with that and coming into, you know, becoming an adult, becoming a teenager, um, I loved Obama. I was Mm -hmm. all about it. But then as I got educated, I realized that that was an immature, naive point of view. Right. And I changed based right. on that. And then the older I got, I realized that the two parties are, are both evil and they're both mm-hmm. corrupt and that mm-hmm. no political party is a sane. And, you know, I learned all that and changed my view. So I don't understand. I just don't get it. I don't get how they just stick to their guns like Well, that. I mean, there are still people who are, who are lost on Obama that are just weep for Obama to come back. And I'm like, you know, Obama wasn't perfect. Oh, but I'd still trade him any day. I mean, for I'd still trade Trump for Obama any day of the week. Yeah, but you know, well, well, we sh- we shouldn't have to settle. That's the problem, right? Well, and I think too, like you get there's a lot of things that you could you you could, you know, rank on a system where okay, what's what what is the most evil thing down to like the least evil thing, right? And you know, one of the things we were going to talk about today is the the buildup of the infrastructure of surveillance that's been happening over the past 50 years. Right. Yeah. Patriot Act being, that was one of the very first things I learned about Obama that I just did not understand was that I was like, you know, everybody demonized Bush for this Patriot Act. And then Obama like renewed it. Signed over and it, over and over. Was fine. Mm-hmm. Let it happen. And that was the first, that was the first crack in the facade, you know, that I was like, something's not right here. Well, when Edward Snowden came out, too, he was like the, oh, let me see here. I wrote him down. There were like maybe six, seven whistleblowers before Edward Snowden that came out with different information about the spying that was going on. Now, the first guy that I have down here is Russell Tice, um, and that was in 2005. Um, and then there was another one, or there was three other ones here, uh, that happened in 2006, J. Kirk Weeb, um, Bill Benny is a real famous one. He's been on a lot of talk shows talking about it. Um, Mark Klein in 2006. And what these people did, they were coming out with these little bits and pieces. Now you say, well, what the fuck? How did, why Snowden in Russia? What about these people? Well, some of them became whistleblowers after they had left the agency. Some of them released, you know, like went official whistleblower, like they went through the official channels for the protections provided to a whistleblower, and they didn't steal anything secretive, um, you know, and take it with them. That's why Snowden is by some seen as, I mean, to me, he's a hero, but... That's what I'm saying, too. Again, the demonization by conservatives of Snowden confuses me, especially during the 2016 elections when people said, you know, we don't care how this information about Hillary got out. That was Assange. If it's the, what? That was Julian Assange, not Snowden. No, what I'm saying is they they demonize Snowden Mm -hmm. because they're like, you know, he's a traitor. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes out about all the shit about Hillary Clinton... And then conservatives make the same remark, like, well, it doesn't matter where the information came from. If it's true, it deserves to be right. out there. And I'm like, right. that's what I'm saying about Snowden. But that's what they did. Right. And that's what they did with Assange. Like, they literally said Assange should be hung from a tree on Fox News. And then when he outed Hillary, they actually had him on. Sean Hannity was interviewing him. Right. Like, yeah. no, kissing his ass. With him, but it, 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 there's, I don't know how they don't see the hypocrisy. Right. It's, it's it, like, you're right. I wish that. 
And, you know, I hope eventually that I can find someone who is conservative but not irate, um, which I'm not saying all conservatives are that way. I know some people that are conservative that are chilled out, but they, you know, they don't any, they don't want to put their views out there, mm-hmm. which I also feel like if you can't preach your own views, then maybe you should, you know, reconsider them. But I want to seriously pick the brain of someone who is a diehard conservative and just be like, seriously, what, I mean, do you not see the hypocrisy of what your you know what your beliefs are well i think the thing i think the thing that here's here's what i'll tell you because i know some people who are conservatives who aren't crazy but um the thing is they don't see anything really necessarily wrong with believing in a set of ideals that are 100 percent self-serving well i mean i don't necessarily think that that's an so they don't want to, do when you too. say they don't want to, they don't want to put their views out there because what the argument is going to come down to is you're going to say, well, so you're only a Republican because, you know, this benefits you and that benefits you and that benefits you, but you don't care about society. And they're going to be like, yeah. So that's what it comes down to is a lot of the policies are only about is it going to like say fracking. Like if you work in a fracking industry and you know that if a Democrat gets in there, they're going to put restrictions on fracking, it's going to change your, how much money you're making and you're a single issue fucking voter who only who doesn't care about the environment, who doesn't care about anything else except you making money. That's what it comes down to. And I, so I think like I mean, and I, I guess I, I do understand that to an extent. But like, I mean, seriously, you could put a candidate in there right now that says I'm going to give free health care. I'm going to give free college. I'm going to I'm going to push all these super progressive policies. But like if they were a rapist, I still couldn't vote for him. Yeah, because it's just something in my moral core says like I just can't do this, and I guess that's what I keep looking for. That that just with Trump, it, you're it, saying with Trump, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just it doesn't shake people, and they keep finding excuses. And I, I found a couple people that after this whole Epstein thing has come to surface, and the ties with Trump have been exposed, mm-hmm. that they have con- reconsidered. You know, well, there and, were a lot of people who questioned the Democratic, uh, you know, National Convention having Bill Clinton speak because they're like, okay, so is it okay everything he did now? You know, what about the Me Too movement? Is that all Is that all good now? Like, right. you know, you want to talk about some hypocrisy there, you know? So, um, because Bill Clinton was on Epstein's plane 27 times. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think it's pretty fucking ridiculous for anybody to think that he didn't have an inkling of knowledge of what was going on. Well, it's the same thing, too, with uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, all these diehard Hillary Clinton supporters. And I just, I'm like, is there is there no part of you that just somewhere in your moral core isn't disturbed? Yeah, right. You know, by the mm-hmm. things that they've proven that they're involved in and, mm-hmm. and, and even the things they're not. But she's she's married to a man who at this point we can all basically guess mm-hmm. is absolutely involved in the Epstein thing. Mm-hmm. So I just, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I, those people who are diehard Hillary supporters are just as uh, confusing to me as Trump supporters are. They really are. I, so, I don't get it. So this one quote from the book, I'm going to read it because I think it kind of sums up the essence of how he, what he means about Trump being the end product of the changes in the Republican Party, not that he's an aberration, but he's the end product. Republicans have built a political ecosphere that thrives on deceit and lies. It is an industrialized sort of deceit that is unique to to the Republican Party. Over the last decades, Republicans have been conducting an experiment 
to determine how many control rods of truth can be taken out of civil society's core reactor of truth without creating a meltdown. It didn't start with Trump, but Trump may prove to be the meltdown. Yeah, I 100% believe that's true. I mean, I remember when Bush was president, and I've, I know a lot about the things that went on then more than, you know, I know more about the, the, the policies and the presidents of my time mm-hmm. than I do others. I mean, obviously, because I lived through them. And even though I was a kid when Bush was in office, so many things happened that growing up, you learn more and more about it. And I always think that is that Trump, Trump did not create this problem. Right. I mean, in my lifetime, I saw it with Bush and Cheney. And I don't know why Republicans then didn't say, you know, we need to rein this in mm-hmm. because what if a Democrat gets in office after him and then they're going to abuse the same powers and the same things that that Bush is exploiting now that benefits us. And right. that's what I try to tell conservatives when I say, you know, it's not right that Trump did this. Oh, God. <laughs> James, squeak toy. But I'm like, it's not right that Trump did this. You know, he's overstepping his boundaries and they don't care. And I'm like, okay, but you will care because this is setting a precedent mm-hmm. that the next guy who right. might not be on your side is going to exploit. Right. And that's been that's been brought up many, 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 many times. You know, that... But one side will say... You know, we don't like the unethical behavior, but, but yeah, we're not going to unilaterally disarm. Like, what did we hear about the campaign money from Elizabeth Warren that, you know, we don't believe in taking corporate money, but if we have to go up against Trump and he's taking all this corporate money, we're not going to unilaterally disarm. So in that sense, you know, it's like the system is set up so that the dirty player comes out ahead. So in the interest of having someone more virtuous be in office, do you have to play the dirty game to get somebody who's a good person in office? And I think there are some people who are trying to skirt that moral thing where they do the less, you know, the less, less evil thing to, to maintain power. But what it all comes down to is it's all a power grab. And, you know, when we were talking about the uh, the way that the parties look parties to two parties have always done opposition research on each other they've always tried to figure out uh, the demographics of their voters they've always tried to figure out what's a blue zone what's a red zone and what's a purple zone because the purple zones where the actions at we got to get the purples on our side to win so it's all all this strategizing and all these things but with the development of the internet and with the expansion of uh, data analytics, and not only that, but the privatization of spying. And we talked about this in our last episode, how during tr- the 2016 election, you know, every candidate, I would be willing to bet, hired a corporate spy to spy on everybody else in the party to find any dirt they could possibly find and this stuff went as far as hacking phones, hacking computers, hacking, I mean, you know, and you can say to yourself, well, and I said this during the election, who cares that Hillary's emails came out um, because she shouldn't have been using a private server and she shouldn't have been saying the things she was saying in those emails in the first place. So too bad for her. The problem is if you have a foreign government who does you a favor in getting your opponent's information on your opponent for you, now you owe that foreign government which means you're now in office and you're beholden to a foreign government. The President of the United States and all of our, including senators, you have senators now, people running in Senate races that are hiring companies outside of the United States to spy on their their, uh, Senate uh, 
the person they're running against in the Senate. That is ridiculous. You know, and the level of information that is attainable by these people is just, I mean, talk about the Patriot Act. So the Patriot Act got signed in to law and that was in 2001. I think it was like 45 days after 9-11. Right, it was right after 9-11 happened. So, um, yeah, 10-26-2001 was when the Patriot Act was passed. Um, and then the NSA started developing this software that could spy on cell phones. And the question was, how do we spy on terrorists' cell phones who are maybe in the United States without spying on United States citizens? Okay. So the federal government gave money to um, Science Application International Corporation to develop a, they gave them $280 million to develop a, a software called Trailblazer, which was to, to basically, it was spy software. So there was a, you know, Bill Benny, who I talked about before being an NSA whistleblower, he had developed a technology called ThinThread, which would allow um, information to be saved, but the identity of the U.S. citizen would be um, masked, so you wouldn't know who that person was. You were collecting their information, but their, but their name, who it was attached to, would be encrypted or hidden in some way so that you would have to go get a search warrant to be able to look at, you know, that citizen's information. And the government decided to uh, ultimately to scrap that program and go with Trailblazer, which would basically spy on everybody. Um, and, you know... There's a question of, you know, them, them just uh, saving your metadata. So saving information of who you call, when you call, uh, the location of the call, that kind of stuff without actually recording your voice and what's being said. So, I mean, people might think that that's a lot more innocuous, that you're just, they're just, all they're doing is recording like, you know, where the call is being made from and who, who, it's, who the call is between, but you don't know what they said. But that type of information can give you a huge amount of information on somebody. And like Snowden said, once you get so many data points on a particular person, it becomes so individualized that you, do, you can figure out who that person is. So even at that point when they were just collecting, you know, um, external data without the actual voice recording, it was bad enough. And now, you know, you have companies like NSO that we talked about last week, the Israeli company that developed this Pegasus software that can basically, re, you know, listen in to your, your, um, your phone <laughs> to, you, to activate your camera while even if your phone's not turned on, shit like that. Um, and we used to joke years and years and years ago, you remember, we used to joke about people listening in through the TV or through our phone and people would just roll their eyes at us and go, yeah, right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, right. Your Guess TV what, spying on you. <laughs> and Snowden talked about that in his, in the movie that they made Citizen Four, which if you can see that, it's a really, really good movie. Um, it, it's actually him in the movie. It's a documentary, basically a documentary movie about what happened as, as it happened. And, um, you know, he says uh, that, 
they would hear people saying things like joking about being on a list somewhere that people early on would would joke about being on a list. So people knew that, you know what I'm saying? Like people have kind of always known the government spying, but what he revealed was like, okay, no, it's for real. So now people go, okay, so the government's spying on us, you know, I mean, what are they going to find out that I look at porn? Um, (laughs) But in certain countries, um, the software, like in Mexico, the government has used it to spy on um, human rights activists, environmental activists, and Saudi Arabia. Um, You know, there's been some information that um, Jamal Khashoggi's phone was infected with Pegasus software so that they were tracking him and listening to his phone calls before he was lured over to Saudi Arabia to be murdered. Um, And um, I haven't heard this, but I kind of have to wonder to myself, you know, they have audio of him being murdered. I've never heard where that audio came from, whether it was a bug at the consulate, the embassy or whatever, where he was killed. Was it was the room bugs or was somebody's phone hacked that was in the room where he was murdered to maybe they just could hack into the phone and get the audio. And, you know, I mean, it is a pretty scary concept when you see what's going on with the protest in Portland and other places, because being able to speak out and being able to, you know, be an activist, like we need these people. And so how long is it going to be before, you know, the software is being employed here against us before we're being followed and tracked? If it's not already here. I I think it already is in the sense that if you commit a crime, you know, law enforcement, we've seen forensic files where they they track you from, they track a a person who's committed a crime from cell phone tower to cell phone tower. And, you know, um, the case of the woman that was murdered up in Alaska. I mean, thankfully, they were able to prove that, you know, he killed that woman, not only because they found the, the pictures of it, and they obviously his face wasn't in the pictures, but, um, you know, the hotel room was registered to him, and then they went ahead and checked his cell phone records, and he um, ended up saying that he did kill another woman, and he told him where to find the body, and when they went and found the body, they found where, you know, his... They tracked all of his movements and they confirmed what he said was, in fact, the truth. So, I mean, you know, it's already being used in law enforcement. And, and so if the capacity is there for them to track us, for them to spy on us, people who speak out are going to start being targeted. Jay, I mean, look at Martin Luther King Jr. They had a whole file on him at the FBI. Anybody at the FBI had files on everybody. And it was a big scandal. And now, we're, now what do you think it is? Do you think they've changed their behavior? Or right. You think they just don't do that anymore? Sure. So I'm not really sure what the answer is because technology has become so infiltrated. It's in our vehicles now. You know, you got on. like I, I joked that I didn't want to get a new car because my car didn't have OnStar. <laughs> Crazy enough, but I drove that shitty old fucking Cavalier that was older than I was. And when it was time to get a new car, I just, yeah. I just didn't want to do it. I just did not. It just seemed like this car's from the 90s. Like it's fucking doesn't have on star yeah, doesn't have this shit man. i mean if you're being tracked by the government because you're an activist you can throw your tape. phone out the window right right you can throw you can't if you're running in a car like i mean you unless can just you, shut that shit off 
no problem. Turn it off. Right. So, yeah, that's fucking terrifying. But, you know, I don't know. I guess people think, well, it doesn't affect me, so I don't care. Well, I can understand, you know, when Elon Musk is coming out and he says he's got a pig now that he put a chip in its brain. Did you hear about that? Somewhat, yeah. It's, you know, his whole thing is he's into AI, uh, artificial intelligence, and he wants to make people cybernetic human beings where they have chips in their brain that can help them to better utilize the capacity of the human brain. He says it's going to cure, like, deafness blindness certain kinds of things like you're gonna he's gonna put these things like chipping you can keep your fucking chip out of my brain yeah, fuck that you know what i'm saying like i don't want to sound like one of these crazy uh you know anti-science people no i, I i'm for science i'm i'm not about musk putting a fucking chip in my brain I, i'm not about that <laughs> fuck. you know what i'm saying fuck that like i just I just think that's just a whole nother level of trust that I just don't feel that I'm at. Yeah, it's like that episode of Futurama where they talk about the new iPhone and they like literally implant the thing in your eyeball. And I'm like, that's where we're going, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, how many dystopian horror films have we seen like in the future where we've been modified to where we can be like controlled? Although call me a crazy conspiracy theorist, but I already think that they have their ways of... Um, messing with the natural order of people's um i don't know how to say mind it. control um i don't know if it's necessarily mind control but i definitely think that the fact that they fluoridize our water and they pump hormones into our food and i don't know maybe it's it's no for it's not for a specific purpose mm -hmm. but just the fact that they allow it to happen and i'm just like this shit why why do we allow this yeah it's you all very I mean? it's very unnatural it's unnatural yeah mm -hmm. i mean and i'm an even a person that um I don't take birth control. I don't do the no, implanted. No, I'm a complete naturalist in that Me sense. too. I just, I, it's just not natural. And you know, I've never had any issues. And all the people I know that do take birth control or have the implants or whatever, or the depo shot or whatever, they have so many issues. They develop all these cysts. I mean, all these problems that they have. And I'm like, I know that this stuff has been scientifically and medically tested and they say it's safe. Mm -hmm. But you're never going to convince me that stopping a natural thing that happens in your body is good for you right. and I, I think the same thing with them putting chemicals in the water or you know pumping all of our food full of hormones and different types of vaccines antibiotics which, antibiotics yeah it, i mean some of which i understand is necessary but it's just there is no part of me that's not going to believe that that alters people i just think that there's not enough scrutiny of it you know what i mean i'm not saying we need to be paranoid but i'm saying that we have to be able to have rational information-based discussions and we should be allowed to question things that you know we're being asked to put into our ourselves right. you know yeah. and i think that the whole you know the people that are going off the deep end okay with the conspiracy thing with this where it's all fear and no information that's bad too right you know um in my article if you get a chance to read it it, it kind of parallels Alex Jones, because I used to listen to Alex Jones. Before he was crazy. Before the water turned the like frogs Like most gay. people, but here's the thing. Most people didn't know Alex Jones before he became the frogs are turning gay guy. Right. Most people didn't fucking know who he was. I listened to him because he talked about history. He talked about the same shit we talked about, the CIA and how they overthrew governments and how you can't trust government. Government's bad because government's done all these terrible experiments on its own people. And like he knew so much about history and the CIA and all those dirty things that happened in our government and he was willing to talk about them and then you know at 9 11 
you know, he actually had like that show on C-SPAN we talked about last time, an hour and 45 minutes on C-SPAN with Alex Jones. And he was completely rational and fact-based. So what the fuck happened? He went the same way that the Republican Party did off a fucking cliff of insanity. And I just, I, I just think. You wonder if they like dosed him or something? Like what do they do to him? I mean, I honestly, I think sometimes people live on a fragile line of sanity. I, I, yeah, I mean, I would believe that. I think that I live on a fragile line of sanity <laughs> because, because, you know, when I told you about the first time that I, when I went to therapy and the lady asked me, the psych, psych, a therapist asked me, well, what are you afraid of? This one Bush was president. And I said, do you ever look out the window and imagine tanks, our tanks, rolling down the street and our soldiers on the streets patrolling us? And she said, well, no. Do you worry about that? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. And I'm thinking, that makes me crazy? Right. At the time, most people would probably say, yeah, that makes you crazy. But, but now you literally see videos of it happening in 2020. Yes. And they're trying to enforce their curfews and shit. And they, uh, yeah, armed soldiers walking down the street. So, I mean, there is a fine line between, you know, thinking, okay, I just want to understand how things work and having a bug out bag. Like, it's a, fa- it's a fucking fine line because, you know, survival requires you, your DNA survival requires you to think, if I get into a situation where there's no out, it's too, it's, it's over. It's too late, yeah. So I have to have that little bit of insanity in order to be prepared for the worst case scenario. But I worried the- about that for a while when I became really outspoken in politics, uh, publicly on social media. And, you know, we started this podcast and, um, you know, we're just a small time little thing, you know, maybe a hundred listeners or something. It's not a big deal. But we love all of our hundred listeners. <laughs> oh, for sure. But it does worry me that if it ever did pick up and become became a recognizable thing, um, even just small time on the internet, a couple hundred thousand people or something, it would worry me. Because I think that some of the shit that I say is very radical. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I ain't downloading WhatsApp because that fucking Pegasus <laughs> app's going to be <laughs> tracking every goddamn thing I say. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's scary when you, you know, you live in America, but you have those thoughts because, and they're not unfounded. Right. They're not I mean, unfounded. I don't want to go back to the point where I was telling people about conspiracies all the time because now people are so freaked out that they literally think crazy, like beyond crazy shit is happening. And I'm like, listen, you don't need to go to the point of like the frogs being gay thing. You don't, you don't There's need like to go. Real There's enough happening. real shit that's scary right now. That we need to be on guard against. And I guess like I just wish we could bring it all back into focus to where it wasn't party oriented to where it's all like we have to be watchful of everyone in government. And there's legitimate reasons why. But let's not lose our fucking minds in the process to where no one's listening to us because we're insane. Uh, hopefully we can keep the discussion on that level. And that's why, you know, I wanted to bring this stuff out about where we're headed as far as like reality people not being in reality and like facts but like we can't ignore the facts you know what i mean we have to keep that balance so hopefully we can do that and every week just try to get the the picture of the day but also keep in mind you know the There's overall big picture here, yeah. There's a whole timeline we do need sanity back though yeah 
We're never going to get rid of corruption, but we need to get sanity back. Right. I know. And it makes me sad because and to my core of core beliefs, you know, any policy, throw it out the window. I don't give a shit. You could debate anything. But my core of core beliefs is that the working class people should be united. The average person. Well, I mean, we should all be connected and know who the common enemy is. And, and so we, much we of the, that so much of this has all been designed to to prevent to, that. To, to prevent that, and right. it, that that upsets me and it terrifies me because I thought that as time moved forward, people would come together more, and as time goes on, they they are less and less mm-hmm. um, able to even speak to your neighbor. You know, I told Doug, uh, my partner, last week. I was like, you know, uh, I was looking for actually a flag to hang on the house. This is justice for Breonna Taylor. And I, wa- I wanted that. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find one anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I was like looking to see if somebody would make one. But I did find a lot of Black Lives Matters flags. And as much as I don't know, I don't know whether or not I trust the organization because I'm always critical of organizations. Mm-hmm. The message is what matters, I think, to me. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I said to him, uh, you think if I hang a Black Lives Matter sign on my house that Someone will Break vandalize our property, mm-hmm. or set our house on fire, or and and he's like looking at me, and I'm like, this is sad mm-hmm. that we live in America, and and you you don't even think you can fly a flag that says that all people are equal mm-hmm. without worrying about your house being burned down. <laughs> yeah, and that's where we are right now. I don't know where we go from here, but I think we have. Almost I over. do think we have to bridge the divide, and if Joe Biden. It's coming up so fast, man. I'm not ready. If Joe Biden does get elected, you know, somebody asked me, do you think there's going to be widespread civil unrest? And I said, well, here's here's what I think is going to happen. If Joe Biden gets elected, um, you're going to have some, you're going to have some civil unrest. You're going to have some people, you know, go crazy. You're probably going to have a couple shootings uh, because these people are too amped up. They're too in depth into their uh, psychotic delusions about, you know, whatever. Um, but I think that if there's a appropriate response and those people are arrested and they're put into jail and, you know, um, if we come back to some sort of sanity, I think it'll, I think it'll fade it'll off. Buff out. Yeah. It'll fade off. I hope so. We can hope. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the people, even though we want to hate the people that are insane over Trump that think he's Jesus. Those people are traumatized. They've they've obviously had some kind of emotional trauma in their life that makes them want a savior and need a savior so bad that they will completely delude themselves. I mean, stop and think about that for a second. Yeah, I do. So we, d- we do have to not hate them. Um, but it's hard to not hate when someone scares you because well, fear like that, is the thing like that makes when, people hate. When you literally look at someone in the face and say, are you okay with children being in cages? And they say, fuck you, MAGA. You know, it's hard not to just be like, you are too far gone and you are disposable. Like, it's hard. It's hard not to feel that way. So let me just close with this one thing. Um, I responded to somebody who asked me, you know, how can you even start a dialogue with some of these people? Because they're so out there. Well, a lot of them claim to be religious. You know, they, they have pictures on their Facebook of crosses and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. So I told him, you know, maybe try this. This is a verse from Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even, do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I just think, you know, I'm not a Bible thumper, but I think if someone is a religious person and you bring up to them, but if, you, if I'm your enemy it, and you perceive me as your enemy, and I think you're, you're my enemy. The Bible says we're supposed to understand one another and love one another. And I think we have to stop the hate, even if they hate us. If we hate back, we're not going nowhere. I know. I just think people on the left are tired of always having to be the bigger person. You know, I think people are tired of that. But I, I agree. Time will tell. And we've only got, you know, a very short amount of time until we find out what the next fucking four years is going to be like. <laughs> we're going to have another four years. We're going to have four years of extended 2020 nightmare. Or do we have some kind of hope that shit might be returned to? At least we've made it four years. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Do you remember? Yeah. A month yeah, into Trump's presidency, I was like, I don't fucking know how I'm going to make. I don't I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm losing my mind right now. I was like, my brain was just a meltdown a month into his presidency. And I mean, here it is almost four years later. And it's been uh, terrible. What a roller coaster. No doubt. But we've made it. So let's just try to keep our minds together and Trek see on. what happens. We got time. <laughs> Make sure you're registered to vote. Absolutely. But that is all I have. That's all I have. Thanks for listening, guys. And we will see you again next time. This is Juke signing off. This is Mick signing off.